Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. The Haggadah is a liturgy text whose focus is actually praise of God for the redemption from Egypt rather than the complex human drama. We'll take a quick tour through Magid to see how that lens helps us to track its structure. Hopefully, we'll be able to end with a few thoughts about how we might find meaning in the act of declaring God's wonders. And as Rabbi Kahan was mentioning briefly before, he's also willing and able to share with you a little bit about that very exciting new Haggadah, since we are precisely four weeks away from the holiday of Passover, and nobody have a panic attack from my saying that, please. So Rabbi Kahan, without further ado, it's such a pleasure to see you on our screen. Welcome to Temple Bethlehem virtually. Thank you so much. Um, it is really exciting. Um, and, uh, just to have the opportunity, um, I won't go into all of the different, uh, different ways that I, I'm connected to various people, um, in the shul, but, um, because that would take my whole hour. Um, so instead I'm going to really just kind of use our time as, as efficiently as we can to talk about the Haggadah, um, and to talk about kind of a mindset for getting ready for our starim. The challenge of the Seder is that we come to it wanting to um, do the Seder both properly and creatively. And we have all of, and, and then, but also we're getting ready for the holiday in all these other ways. And so we end up kind of doing whatever. Um, so hopefully, this will give us some uh, just a little bit of a framing for uh, approaching our story uh, sort of thoughtfully and in a little bit of a new way this year. So uh, just as a kind of setting, we have this kind of, I, I think of it as a bifurcated approach to liturgy and ritual, which is we recite rituals, we perform them, and we also want to craft kind of meaningful experiences these are like separate, right? We, we will like do things that are meaningful and then recite the words. Um, or sometimes we'll use the liturgy as material with music, with, to, for music, uh, and stuff like that. But that's different than actually engaging with liturgy texts. And liturgy texts are often hard to engage with. Now, I, I think a lot about finding ways to reclaim the liturgy as itself a vehicle for meaning and doing it in ways that can feel authentic and real for us. Um, and I've been spending a lot of time particularly thinking about um, the Haggadah and thinking about it. And here's the funny thing is, is we usually don't think of it in these terms, but thinking about it as a liturgy text in the same way that we think about what does it mean to engage with the, the text of the Siddur um, or a venture or something else. Um, so I, I, I want to do um, two main things, uh, and we'll see how they fit together. Um, one is to kind of demystify the Haggadah text. We tend to encounter it, and the more that we are paying attention to the text itself, the more confused we often feel. Uh, that was really how I felt for a long time, until I really started spending um, uh, significant time with it. And... Um, and to think about how we can uh, read that that text kind of meaningfully. And the other is to introduce you to uh, and share some things about 
my Haggadah. Um, I promise I will sort of answer the question of, I will definitely answer the question of uh, why did I put together a new Haggadah. Um, I will not answer the question of, uh, well, what's my unique take on Haggadah, but I will explain why. Um, so we're going to try to do those two things in the time we have, um, and hopefully they will kind of work together. Um, there is a, a source sheet that um, has the sources for the first little first bit of what I'm going to talk about kind of before we get to the Haggadah itself. I'm going to share that. Um, we'll see how many of those sources will we'll, we'll at least make reference to uh, many of those sources. Um, uh, and we'll only read a few of them kind of closely, um, but you can now have them uh, to uh, to follow along. Do you want me um, to share my screen or do you want to just share the no, link again in the chat? I, I just shared it again in the chat, didn't I? Yes, you did. Yeah. I just shared it again in the chat. I'm going to share a screen with a little... Um, on a PowerPointy thing with some of the some of the texts, um, and we'll kind of go, you know, so you can see, you can get it one way or the other. Okay, but here's my little, and then um, so we're going to look at this, and then um, we will switch over to the Haggadah PDF um, uh, in a, in a few minutes. So first, basic. The uh, this is a piece that may be familiar to you, but is one of those things that you may not have really kind of thought through. Um, the Haggadah is, is the, the Seder ritual is a very text-based thing. It developed, the, the rabbinic ritual developed very much as an expansion of this biblical ritual. Um, the later rabbinic ritual um, was, is very directly an expansion of the Mishnah's ritual. Um, the kernel is here in Exodus chapter 12. Um, and this is the first time that we have, this is, this is, this is the text that introduces the, uh, dynamic of question and answer as the activity for Seder night. Um, and it says in future years, Ushmartem, you will, you will observe, you will perform this, this ritual, this avodah. Um, and then, when your children inevitably ask, "Maha avodah hazot lachem," well, what what is this ritual, this this rite about? What does it mean to you? Then you'll tell you're, you'll tell them this is a Pesach offering to Adonai, because and, and, and you get the little wordplay here that God Hasach passed over our houses and um, uh, struck the Egyptian firstborn. Now, there are three components, right? You'll perform the ritual. That will spark your child to ask about his meaning. And that is the opening for you to tell, tell them about the Exodus. Right? Offering leads to question, question to story. Um, in the, uh, and you can see that, um, that, that structure of, uh, the ritual foods question answer is exactly is, is, is the sort of starting point for, for our, for our Haggadah. It's even more obvious in the original version of the four questions, which are all about the ritual foods, right? The original Mishnah questions were about the Pesach, the Matzah, and the Mara. Um, now the question that I want to think about is, 
what is the story we're supposed to tell as part of this ritual? When we talk about, oh, we say, oh, the child asks, and then you tell them the story, we read it as if it just, it's very vague, and we can fill it in as we want to. But this is actually more concrete, right? Here is the parent explaining, not, but we, this is in Exodus chapter 12. So the beginning of this chapter is where they put the blood on the doorposts, and the last part of this chapter, the middle part of this chapter, after this little section, is where the plague of the firstborn actually happens. So this is actually, um, when it says, here's what you're going to say in the future, what, I'm, what you're going to say is, you're going to tell your child about something that actually hasn't happened yet for the next 20, 20 verses. <laughs> um, but, but the real point is that um, you're not going to tell them the whole narrative of the last 11 chapters. You're only going to say, I'm doing this ritual because God saved us and struck them because of what God did. Now, the version in chapter 13 is even simpler, Right. Uh, oh wait, no, I, that, that's another later slide. But um, um, you, you shall t- explain to your child, this is because of what God did for me when I left Egypt. Notice, no long, complicated, complex story. Just I need my child to know what God did for us and for me personally when we left Egypt. Um. Now, the Mishnah has some variation in terms of what we tell and how. It doesn't give a script for the answer. It gives a script for the questions, but not for the answers. Um, it only gives guidelines. We should tailor our telling to the specific child, likely an, an allusion to the Midrash of the four children that we know so well, and that was already composed by the time of the Mishnah. And it tells us to tell a story that starts with disgrace and ends with praise. Starts with disgrace, ends with praise. There's a lot of of uncertainty about what that phrase uh, was intended to mean, um, which gives rise to a lot of different kind of interpretations um, of this text. And we'll come back to that. And the third thing is that we should interpret the passage in Deuteronomy 26 that starts, my father was a wandering Aramean, et cetera, et cetera, which is... Uh, the central kind of piece of Magid. Um, now, fast forward a thousand years, right? Um, uh, and you find this. Now, this is this is Maimonides' sort of statement of the mitzvah of the seder, but it is typical of every midi- every sort of medieval. Uh, uh, rabbi's ex- explanation from his time to ours, right? It is a mitzvah, I say a positive commandment to relate le saper, to relate the miracles and wonders and for our ancestors in Egypt. And then even great sages are obligated to recount the exodus from Egypt. And so it's a positive commandment to relate or narrate these events. Even great sages must do it, and the more you do it, or the at the greater length, the better. Now that right, that is the mitzvah of the seder. Aside from eating eating matzah, right? This is everything else about the seder, as far as Maimonides is concerned, 
flows from this. Now, the thing is that if telling is meant to be at a level appropriate for sages and one that could occupy them potentially all night, it must be an extended, detailed narration and analysis. Very different than, um, oh, this God passed over our houses. It's not quite the story we seem to be talking about here. Now, you may may well recognize this language of even great sages are obligated and whoever does it more is better. You may recognize that from uh, the beginning of our Haggadah. And in fact, our Haggadah text is source for Maimonides' rule. Um, a little tricky because these two little pieces, this statement that even if we're all wise and, uh, and you know, and sages and know the Torah, we have to tell the story and the more we tell, the better. And this story about the five rabbis in B'nai Brak, they're separated, right? They're on, there's, there's separate paragraphs. And this first part is attached to Avadim Hainu. That's actually uh, misleading. This is really the, this thing over here. You, can you see my little mouse there when it moves? This is actually just the introduction to this story. Um, and we see essentially exactly what um, we saw in Maimonides, which is even sages need to do this. It is a mitzvah. It is the only thing that's described as a, mit- a mitzvah to to recount, narrate the Exodus from Egypt, and to do so ideally at great length in great detail. You see, like this is the image that we all have of what we're supposed to be doing, right? We're all we're uh, we're always looking for new ways to kind of analyze the story and, and new ways to bring it to life and to uh, to uh, act it out and. Um, to discuss it, how do we sort of wring more, more and more out of this story? Um, the same story we've been working, working over, um, for, uh, for countless years. Um, the famous story of the rabbis in Brock is really just directly a, um, kind of a, an illustration of the, of this principle, right? Everyone even say just do it and the more the better. And here's a story of five great early rabbis sitting in a Brock who were doing exactly this, misaprim demitrim, recounting, right, all night, and they had to be stopped by their students um, in the morning. They could have gone um, into the next day. This reads like and has been treated as the mission statement for our entire Seder. It, the goal is recounting and retelling the story of the Exodus in elaborate and creative ways. Now, it has always mystified me, and I hope that it, it, you, you, it has confused you too, um, that the Haggadah, which is the script for this ritual, doesn't do this at all. Right? You've probably at various points gone through the Haggadah and been like, oh, well, the main point is to recount the story of the Exodus at length, where's the story? That's odd. And it, it's odd not just because, like, oh, but I need the story. It's that this is literally the script for this ritual. How could the main point not be there? Um, so it turns out that there is an explanation for this. Um, 
And the explanation is that this story, which seems to be about second century rabbis, is actually written in the ninth century. Uh, it is uh, adapted from a much earlier story that was about rabbis spending all night studying law. But this story, not so much. This story is a story from the ninth century um, in Babylonia. It was added. It was added to the Haggadah text. It is the last thing that was added to the Haggadah text, which means, oh, sorry, it was the last thing, and it is the only text in the whole Haggadah, or in all of rabbinic literature. Actually, I, I'm literally the only text in all of the rabbinic literature until you get to like medieval rabbis who are quoting this text that that talks about recounting Lissaper, the Exodus. Before this story, there's no there's no such phrase even. Well, what what were they doing before? Well, what was the whole, what's the whole rest of the Haggadah kind of based on? If it's not based on retelling the story, well, so I'm glad you asked. The story, um, the rest of the Haggadah is based around the term Lehagid, right? In, as in the verse, Vehigarata you shall explain to your child on that day, this is what God did for me. Now, Lehagid is the basis for both the name of the book, Haggadah, the central section, Magid, um, and Lehagid all, and I, could, I had at some point like 25, 30 examples of this from across Tanakh. Um, I'm not going to share those. Um, Lagid is a statement that is brief and directive. Information, instruction, right? Um, when you, when you, when you have, right, we just read in the, in the, uh, in the Megillah, right, that Mordechai heard about a plot and, um, he told Esther, right, to pass it on to the king. Um, there are, right, God gives Paro dreams and Joseph explains to him that God, Higid, informed Paro of what God's planning to do. This is an instruction that leads to some kind of action. In other words, the rest of the Haggadah thinks that the point of the Seder is not storytelling, but is to convey knowledge of religious import to convey to the child understanding that is supposed to shape them, uh, shape their kind of religious identity. And indeed, every time there are tons of places in Tanakh where the Bible, where the Tanakh revisits or summarizes in some way the events of the Exodus, every single time it is summarizing or listing God's actions on our behalf. All of the other texts are essentially prayer or uh, prayer or praise texts that focus on describing either to the Israelites or in, in sort of in singing to God, listing, describing God's wondrous acts on our behalf. These, all of these accounts, they don't, it's not that they go, it's not that they tell a winding story that goes from disgrace to praise, there are only two elements, our disgrace 
and then praise of God for uh, ending it. I, I want to I, I want to look with you at one other example of such a text. Um, it's a great example, partially because um, when I sat and really looked at it carefully, um, I kind of couldn't believe I hadn't really paid attention to it before. Um, this is Psalm 78. And the thing about this, they're very, it's in some ways similar to other kind of texts of this nature. Um, but this one literally starts with, I will expound a theme, hold forth and lessen to the past things that our fathers told us, right? We will not withhold them from their children, right? Um, and, and before I get to the red parts, which are the key, God established a decree in Jacob ordained that charging our fathers to make them known to their children and to then to their children, to their children. In other words, this is actually a psalm where the psalmist declares Behold, I am now going to fulfill the mitzvah from Exodus 12 of telling your children about the Exodus. And I'm going to tell you, and, and now I'm going to tell you exactly what I need to, to tell them when I do that and why. So this is actually explicitly says, here's what one tells the children to fulfill this mitzvah. And here's the goal, the purpose of it. So what is it that I, I, I'm, I, I, the psalmist, am now going to tell my, I'm going to tell my children, I'm going to tell the coming generation the praises of the Lord and his might and the wonders he performed, right? Tehilot um, Adonai, right? Praise of God, the wonders God performed. In other words, the only thing I need to convey to the, to the child in, in this mitzvah is God's might and the wonders that God performed for for Israel, bringing them out of Egypt. And why is this so important? Why is specifically telling that so crucial? That they might learn to trust God, to not forget God's great deeds, which I would say to, to trust God, to love God, and to observe God's commandments. In other words, the point of the point of this night each year of going back to the same story is not to like dredge and figure out um uh how do i uh how do i ring some new some new interpretation of the story each year it is it is a religious it is a simple and direct religious lesson remembering god's deeds and god's wonders to inculcate trust in god love of god and loyalty to God's mitzvot. Um, this picture is very different from our notions of the story um, in many ways, but the two most important, I think, for me are, number one, when, um, when we think about retelling the story, we think about retelling a very human drama. Exodus 1 to 12 is a very human story. The struggles, the, the, the uncertainties of, um, of frail humans, uh, the fear, the, um, the wrong turns. Um, it is a, it, it is a very human drama. But when we recount the Exodus, the, the, the theological lesson is conveyed 
only by telling God's story, by recounting what God did. So that's one. And the second thing is that in our minds, in our thinking about it, this, this telling the story is the thing, right? That's the right? telling the story, making it engaging is its own end. But in the Haggadah, in the Haggadah text, um, what's key is not the story as much as the moral of the story, the lesson that is meant to be drawn from. Um, okay. I want to pause there. Uh, and invite any questions or any thoughts, uh, so far. And then, um, and then we're going to kind of shift, uh, shift gears and look at Haggadah itself and kind of see how that plays out. Um, uh, so, uh, Janina? Um, I, I feel as if I missed a transition. Okay. And sorry, because you started out, I thought by saying that it's not the order one would expect. I mean, it's like the Torah text we will do and we will hear as opposed to the understanding and then doing the ritual. And I somehow missed, maybe I misunderstood what you were saying, but I thought that you were going to be linking that to how you structured your analysis. Um. Right. So, um, uh, um, so, uh, right, so, wait, you, starting, you thought, there's not, right, so, the, the, I, I was not trying to focus on, um, the question of the order uh, in which we, in which we do things in the Seder. Um, what I'm interested in is, um, what, what story do we think we're supposed to tell and why? Because we really think we re- and and if you look you look at all the different um, Haggadot that illustrated you know, and and um, represent in different ways or explain it they are all what they're doing is filling in a more detailed and um, lengthy and kind of uh, nuanced recounting of the drama of you know they're 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 recreating you know the Prince of Egypt right. Um, this dramatic, gripping escape story, um, and we 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 try to tell that we imagine that that's the story we're telling, um, and therefore we are surprised we don't find it. Um, and what I'm saying is that all of the um, other texts that um, frame, well, what's this theta ritual about? Assume that the theta ritual is a and this, and the Seder liturgy is a, a liturgy of praise, praise for God's, um, salvation, for God's, um, acts, um, for God, the, the miracles by which God br- brought us out of Egypt. Um, and in focusing on God's miracles, inculcating, um, a sense of love, a sense of debt to God, a sense of devotion to God. Um, thank you. Uh, um, I'm going to, Mara, Mara. Hi. Yes. Thank you. Um, can you just, can you explain when you, you said, um, it's our disgrace and then praise of God for ending it. What is our disgrace? Our, our, disc, our disgrace really just means, um, our, 
um, it, it really means our place, our, our place of need, right? Um, meaning we were slaves is disgrace. Not that, not that, not that, not, not that shameful in the way that we would think of it. Um, it is that, um, we were in a place of being denigrated or, or, um, you know, oppressed, you know, oppressed. And the, but the, the point of that is that we were, in a, in a, we were, we were oppressed and God rescued us from that. Right. What it does is, what it does is not, it's not, it's not like, right. It's, you know, we often, I, I've read so many things that talk about this d- disgrace to praise or disgrace to glory as being like a rags to riches tale. Like we were, we were in this lowly sort of filthy place. And then here, this now we're, we're, we're God led us to triumph and glory, right? That's not really it at all. Um, we were in a terrible place. God brought us, um, saved us from that and because of that, we, um, now have this essentially eternal debt, um, um, which we re, you know, which we repay in an ongoing way by, um, uh, serving God with loyalty. Okay. Thank you. So, so you could either replace the word disgrace with oppression or just a, a low place, correct? Right. Okay. Right. Thanks. Exactly. Um, and by the way, the, uh, the other version of in the, in the Haggadah and based on the Talmud of, um, of disgrace to praise is we were alienated from God. Um, and then God brought us close, right? Which you can again, the, the fact that we were alienated from God, uh, when we were, you know, enslaved and didn't, or even since the stats, that version of the story starts back when Abraham had not even first encountered God back in, um, in Haran, right? There's, it's not, a, it's not a question of blame. It's a question of, of being in a, um, in a place of spiritual lowliness, um, from which God raised us up. Okay. Um, thanks. So I, I am now, Happy to introduce you to just in PDF form, but um, Yirid Nefesh Haggadah, which I thought was going to be um, on sale, but I you know sort of on sale. I'm shipping them out by now, but this is it, it, I have it in a we're just getting in a couple of days in a beta version, um, and the final thing with um, will be out next year, which is you know um, one of those. Uh, Disappointments that you learn to live with in, Jew- in, in Jewish publishing. Um, but, uh, here it is. And, um, you will see that, uh, you of course don't need to turn the page while you're, uh, saying Kiddush. Um, always a very important, uh, it was, it, it's one of those things that is one of the nundiki things that I get obsessed about. And so when I find people who are like, Oh, I love the fact that you don't have to turn the page for Kiddush. It makes me so happy. Um, uh, we're going to sort of scroll through here to the beginning of Magi. So here we have the four questions taken straight from, uh, from the Mishnah. And then what we have in the rest of Magi is not a kind of continuous, but, uh, kind of, you know, meandering, uh, um, 
a single response to the question. What we have actually is, with a few digressions, four completely separate, discrete answers, um, each of which can, you know, can and should be kind of like understood on its own. Um, so start by looking at the first one. We were slaves in Egypt, and God brought us out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That is the story. That is not an introduction. That is the first answer. In terms of like, what is it that, right? In fact, that, this is, that, that is an answer straight out of um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, and uh, that, is the, that is all according to the first, the first kind of view that you need to tell them about the events, right? The only thing you need to know is we were slaves and it is entirely thanks to God that we are free. And then it does the crucial thing, the thing that we, that we, that you skip over if you're not looking for it. It gives you the moral of the story. Why do you need to know that God did that for us? Because if, God hadn't done it for us, we would still be slaves there. What does that really mean? Literally, I don't know. But the importance of it is, it's not enough to know that God once did something for us long ago. You need to internalize, you, you, we need to internalize the sense that that's the beginning of a whole chain of events that lead, that led to the sort of establishment of the uh, of Am Israel in the land and then through that to all of the um to the whole course of Jewish history right if god had not brought us brought us out given us that moment of sort of national formation we certainly would not be here as a jewish community even centuries thereafter let alone millennia thereafter um and so the first answer in the Haggadah is you need to know that God did this and you need to know it so that you have the sense that you personally owe your freedom and your identity um, to, uh, to, that, to that event. Very brief story and religious moral. Okay. Second half of this paragraph as I mentioned, is actually completely unrelated and really misleading. Um, not misleading in an intentional way, but um, uh, is this first half is an answer to the question. And then, then here it says, actually, no, answer the question. You need to like recount and discuss and analyze the story and the, you know, um, with great sages all night. So um Right. That, leads, right. that leads into the story of B'nai Brock and the um, this random Mishnah that gets put in there um, and the four children. Then we get to the second answer. I mentioned this a couple minutes ago. This is, and this is very clearly already in the Talmud, this is an alternative answer. Right? One one rabbi in the in the Talmud says, Abedim Hayinu, the other poses this text. And this text um, tells you at first our answers are idol worshippers, right? Which is, refers both to Abraham's family in Haran and then to the people who were um, uh, slaves in Egypt and had no way of knowing about 
um, about God. Um, what is different about this answer is that in this answer, right, the, the move is from alienation or distance to, you know, we were distant and God brought us close. What is parallel is actually more crucial, which is both of these first two answers are entirely stories about Israel and God, what God did for Israel and the ongoing relationship that must emerge from uh, that must emerge from that. This one focuses more spiritually and it broadens uh, it, it broadens it because it means that it's not just that God brought us out of Egypt. It's God brought us out of Egypt and brought us to Sinai. Um, and in another version of this, um, it's God brought us out of Egypt and led us through the desert, ultimately back to the land of Israel. Um, but either way, this is a, 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 a different story that is still about what God did for us and thus the sense of debt, the relationship uh, that is founded on those actions. That's answer number two. Um, now, this text uh, actually is a lot, is is longer. It it goes on. You know, it kind of weirdly ends here with him going down to Egypt. The actual text from Joshua goes on to go through the events of the Exodus. Also, it's cut off here because um, the third answer goes into those details. So, kind of uh, they now kind of work together. One's kind of leads into the other. But the third answer uh, is the third answer is the midrash on the on Devarim twenty six on my father was wandering Aramean or Aramean sought to destroy my father. Um, other thing, um, this version and I'm not going to get into the midrash itself because that's a whole other uh, discussion. But this version is is particularly pointed. It was originally said by Israelites living in the land securely when they brought the fruit of the land to the temple on Shavuot. It was very personal. God, I, I, the Israelite, am saying, God brought us out, led us to the desert and into the promised land, enabling the very life of peace and plenty that I am now living, and of which these fruits are the tangible result. Right? And so it literally connecting and making the direct line of connection from the Exodus to the desert, to the land of Israel, leading up to the present moment and what, and the very, the very things that I'm holding and for which I'm expressing gratitude. And that, right, that is now our third answer. So the first answer was just, we were slaves and God brought us to freedom just that brief slice. The second answer, we were distant and God brought us close, right? We're thanking God for not only bringing us out of Egypt, but to to Sinai and giving us Torah. And here, the third answer, God starts in Egypt and traces essentially all the way up to the present day of the Israelite standing in the temple. But again, I want to emphasize, and, and I hope you kind of see the theme here, uh, that each of these answers is focused on 
describing what God did for us and thus framing the relationship that we need to have with God. That is, that is the consistent theme. Here, I'm going to kind of, right, the, um, the plagues, you know, everyone knows the plagues, right? The plagues seem like they occupy a big, um, a big place in the, in the middle of the Haggadah text because we print them in really big font. Um, it's actually just a, a list of the 10 plagues that comes at the, at the tail end of this, uh, long midrash. Um, we have kind of blown it up into the, to a major kind of centerpiece. Um, and the, the, the last piece of answer that I want to show you, because it is often talked about as the weirdest thing in, in Magid, um, is Dayin. If you, if you have, um, felt the sense of like what's going on in Dayin, I don't get it. Um, if you read Dayinu from the, you know, if you think that you are talking about the story of the Exodus from the perspective of the Israelites, that we're telling, that we're describing the experience of the Israelites in coming out of Egypt, this is weird. Because if God had um, given us their money, not opened the sea, so that we were stuck there, and they could keep coming, that would not have been enough for us. I assure you, we would not have been so happy. Um, if God had um, uh, opened up the sea and not brought us across, right? Oh, look, the sea's open. Oh, but, um, but you can't go. Uh, that would not have been enough for us. But once you understand that, that, that Magid is about declaring and reciting phrases of God, for God's acts of, of um, wonder and kindness, Dayenu makes perfect sense. Because Dayenu means it, each of these would be enough to be worthy of, of gratitude and praise. It's like, and, um, and then I will, pause, I will pause in one second after this. I, I think of it like this. If I tell you the story that I was injured and a stranger stopped to help me, Use his own clothing to bandage my wounds. Went miles out of his way to bring me to the hospital. It may, it's irrelevant whether I needed all of those actions or could have, or, or if one of them would have been enough. It, it doesn't matter. Each of those things deserves mention because each of them was a remarkable act of kindness. That's the point. Each of these things that God did in and of itself is worthy of gratitude, of praise, of love. Of appreciation, taking together, the effect should be staggering. Yeah, um, I saw a hand. Um, Norm, please. Thanks. Um, I'm curious about trying to analyze um, Diana with any amount of literus of of, of of taking it literally. The the paragraph following it, I've always learned, was much older. It identifies the same 15 steps and simply explains that, you know, God did all of these things for us. And theologically, it seems like that's a sensible thing to say. But Dayenu is such a catchy melody and such a fun thing that people remember it when they have forgotten everything else. I have very clear memories of visiting 
my late cousin Rose in the Alzheimer's unit of a local nursing home. And, you know, a week or two before Passover, I started singing a few Pesach songs. And when I got to Dayenu, not only did she perk up and sing along, not only did all the people at the table she was sitting at, the four of them, sing along, but within a matter of, by the time I was at the third uh, 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 stanza, the third line, um, the entire room of about 30 people were singing Dayenu with me. And, and they were absolutely thrilled to be doing this because this rang a bell to them. And these were all people with whom you really could hardly ever have a, a reasonable conversation. There were, there were some yeah. who you could talk to about, but it wouldn't make much sense. They had their memories were all but gone in, in most yeah. cases. And so I, I want to make a point that, that, that is absolutely true. And for me, um, that is absolutely true. And, um, that is not in itself evidence that this that this poetic version is later. Um, uh, just consider um, the you know Psalm one thirty six to the great hollow that we say towards the end. Um, uh, you know, Hodu Adonai Kitov Kili Lam Pasto. Hodu You know Kili Lam Pasto Kili Lam Pasto. Also, a whole list of uh, wondrous deeds um, for which we want to praise God, and God, God's chesed is is eternal after each one. Um, you could make the same argument there, and yet I, I know that um, that poetic structure is is the psalm, right? Is from the Book of Psalms. Um, so my point is that Diana, which is clearly modeled on that. In the um, in the uh, sort of going through kind of chronologically a list of um, of actions of God um, is not so is, is not so illogical in that it's saying that each one of these is a sign of God's chesed. Each one of these stands alone as a sign of God's chesed. Um, I. I um, I've looked and I've not found um, plausible uh, any pl- any 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 sort of convincing evidence that the sort of the little summary afterwards is earlier. Um, the only argument for it that I have seen is that people don't understand Dayenu. Um So I would you know sort of suggest to you that um, that. Once you once you understand it and see it in the context of other similar types of poems, um, it, it and in the context of a series of texts that are all about sort of reciting God's praises, um, they make a lot more sense. Um, uh, um, Josh, I just want to um, yeah. I just want to mention that um, that we have about like six more minutes. Ooh. So if there's time for us to take some questions, et cetera, et cetera, I just want to make sure that we don't cut you off, but also that others, um, if they have some questions, can have some time. To so ask. I'm going to say one last one right. last thing, and then um, be a few minutes for questions. Um, my favorite line in the, and what I would say is the, the the sort of crux line in the in, in the in, in the Haggadah text. Is behold or bedor chayavadam lirot tatzmo ki ilu hu yatam in triumph. In each generation, we are to see ourselves as if we were released from slavery. 
I was always taught that this is about um, remembering the experience of slavery and then and, and compassion and um, and all of those. Things. But it, it turns out that that's actually not true. I mean, not right, not having compassion and those are all true. But the point here is not to remember right, in them in the moment of the seder is not to remember that we were slaves or to remember what it was like to be slaves. The point is to feel like we personally were redeemed. The point is not to feel the feelings of the Israelites who were in Egypt, but to feel the feeling of the Israelites standing on the edge of the on the edge of the of the sea, seeing their um, oppression sort of washed away um, and given this and and sort of joy and intensity of being given this whole new fresh start. And the idea being that if you put yourself in that, if you feel, if you feel like you were like the re- redemption personally happened to you, you will be filled with a sense of joy, a sense of love, a sense of appreciation. And if you are, what, how did they respond to it on the edge of the sea? They couldn't help themselves. They burst into song, right? The song of the sea is this pouring out literally of, um, of these deep, of these deep and powerful emotions of having arrived at a moment that they had dreamed of for, for generations. Right? And therefore, when it says therefore we must give thanks, it's not really we are therefore have an obligation. It's we therefore can't help but pour, pour out thanks, right? Um, and sing songs, right? We sing halal at night at the Seder because we are so filled with that sense of gratitude. Now, um, uh, it is what's challenging is, and um, we don't have time to sort of, you know, really sort of get into it. What's challenging is, cult- is, is cultivating that sense of Aware, that awareness of what we have that we might not have had of um, of being the inheritors of this uh, tradition of the sacrifices that so many generations made to enable us to be where we are um, that sense that that we we owe so much of who we are and what we have to this um, to this Jewish past and therefore really be filled with a sense of love. That, while challenging, that is a task that may, maybe feels compelling and new. The task of immersing ourselves in appreciation and in seeing how much um, we owe to the people and the events that came before us. And if you can set that as a challenge for your Seder, you will really bring sacredness to that night. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA. 
LA.org.